right, this morning's text is found in the book of Psalms 111. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 111. I think it's going to be a pretty halfway decent word today. Good. Christy was on point because she talked about this being a year where the Lord is inviting us into greater uh, praise and worship. And she did not know this, but the message today is on becoming a people of praise. Becoming a people of praise. So let's look at Psalm 111. Put that on the screen, please. That's, that's, that's the signal for it's already up there. All right, here we go. Praise the Lord. Let's read it together. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just, All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Amen and amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Awesome. All right, for the next few minutes, let's talk about Psalm 111. Let's talk about becoming a people of praise. And Sharita, if you would, I'm going to just keep a couple of verses up there. If we could keep verse 1 up there. This psalm begins with an invitation to praise. It is an invitation to the people in the congregation. Now, many of us, because of our Western individualism and because the type of Christianity that we've adopted, many of us have adopted this Christianity unwittingly, unknowingly, like living in the matrix. We don't even know that this is the type of Christianity that we've adopted. But it really is a self-serving, self-consuming, independent, individual type of Christianity. And so we read books like the Psalms, and I used to preach this. I used to preach the Psalms are like the journal of David and his personal relationship with God. And we're getting a window wrong, wrong. That's not what the Psalms are. The Psalms are like a corporate worship book. The Psalms are like a corporate worship manual. David's not writing this to himself. David, praise the Lord. No, no. He is speaking to a people. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's writing things down knowing that this is going to be used in the worship of the temple when the people gather together. This was the songbook. 
These were the things that were thrown on the screens that people would sing together. That's what the Psalms were. Most of the Bible, if not all of the Bible, was written for a corporate people with a corporate purpose in mind. And so when David writes, praise the Lord, he's speaking to a people. And it's an invitation, it's a provocation, it's an exhortation. Hey, I'm calling a people to be a people of praise. Now let's just pause right there and let me just kind of lean over here and take this little sideways journey and give you my own personal thoughts that I believe that the people of God should be and could be some of the most victorious, celebratory, high-spirited, great attitude people on the planet. And here's why. Because of who God is, because of what God has done, and because in the cycle of God forming his people, in the liturgy of the people of God coming together on a regular basis, there is a habit, there is a discipline, there is a form that is actually designed to help form us to be a people of praise. To be a people who rise above. To be a people whose eyes are set up on the mountains from whence comes our help. My help comes from you, maker of heaven and earth. This is one of the ways that we can stand out from all of the people on the planet. Ain't no reason why a Tony Robbins should have a greater attitude than the people of God. There ain't no reason why an Oprah Winfrey should be more victorious in her attitude and in her mindset when things go wrong. There ain't no reason why self-help authors should have a better understanding of, the, of, of, of being a person of praise when all things go wrong in our lives. Because being the people of God means, by definition, that we are a people of praise. We are a people that look for the good. We are a people that identify with gratitude. We are a people that see the work of God in all of our lives. This is an invitation. Every time we gather together on a Sunday morning, we have what is called a call to worship. Now fasten your seatbelt because most of us don't hear that call to worship. Most of us don't hear that invitation to praise. Because it happens at the beginning of service, when service starts at 10 a.m. Moving right along. <laughs> but that's part of our liturgy. It is a call. When we get up here together, guys, listen, this isn't some religious machination that we create because we think, you know, this, this. No, no. This is an invitation. There is something deeply theological and biblical and spiritual when we pull the people together and say we are beginning our gathering of worship. This is our invocation. We are, inv we are responding to the invitation of God that has called us here. We are gathering in the name of Jesus and it matters. All right, let's look at the next point in verse two. I love this because the psalmist says, I apologize, second line, verse one. <laughs> I will extol the Lord with all my heart. I will extol the Lord. I will celebrate. I will worship. I will magnify. I will praise the Lord. And here's the qualifier. With all my heart. With all my heart. With all that is within me. With all of my strength. 
with all of my emotion, with all of my energy, with all of my spirit, with all of my mind, with all of my entire being, I will praise the Lord. That's what it means to praise the Lord. That's what worship means. It means that we give God something of ourselves that costs us something. You guys might remember the story at the end of 2 Chronicles where David, um, it might not be the end of 2 Chronicles, 2 Samuel, that David, is, uh, he, he takes a census of the nation of Israel. And as a result, there's judgment that comes from God on this action. And God gives David an opportunity to respond. And so David goes and he consults with someone to receive animals to sacrifice the Lord. And the man, out of reference and honor to David the king, he says, hey, listen, you can, you can have all of these. You're the king. You're the royalty. I'm not going to charge the king. And here's what David said, classic line. He says, far be it from me to offer God that which costs me nothing. That which costs me nothing. If it's easy, we might want to reevaluate whether or not it's praise and worship. If it's easy, if it's convenient. And this is where we got to get a little prophetic. This is where we have to tap into the, to the real definition of what prophetic means, which means to speak to the injustices of the earth and to speak to the spirit of the age and to speak to who the church was designed to be. And that is, in our Western American hyper-consumeristic, independent approach to churches, it, is, it has become the approach of church growth to remove all inconveniences. It has become the approach of the American church to make it easy. To make it easy. And as a result, the matrix of that has formed us. If we don't have the words on the screen, that is designed to help facilitate. But listen, my worship and my praise of the living God is not contingent upon the words on a screen. I love great sounding musicians like the rest of us, but my worship and my praise are not contingent on the sound or on the song that they pick. I'm telling you guys, we're spoiled. We're spoiled. I remember when I was a kid, we didn't have Bethel and Jesus culture and Hillsong and passion. We had, we, did, we just didn't have we just did, <laughs> yeah, we had Hosanna Integrity, uh, Don Moen, we had Don Moen, <laughs> yeah, we didn't have that, yeah, look at Randall, this rest my boy, Don Moen, okay, now I'm not trying to bang on the, you know, the people of the past, I'm just saying, the worship that we have today, you guys, it is amazing, but if it is easy, we need to rethink whether or not it is praise, and whether or not it is worship. All right, I will not offer the Lord that which costs me nothing. Now, when we worship God, I know you know this, but this is just, I'm, I'm only doing this because the Bible's telling me I gotta say these things. It's not, that moment is not about me. That moment is not about you. It's not about us. 
That moment is about us setting our focus and our gaze and our concentration and our intention and our attention on who God is. Now, I realize that some of us have physical situations and standing for a really long amount of time is difficult. And listen, there's grace and there's freedom for that. On the flip side of that same statement, if we're just kind of just sitting down and folding our arms and checking out, and if we're kind of like using our personality, well, those people are expressive and and I'm not very expressive, it's not about you. It's not about your expressiveness. It's not about your particularity. It's not about your personality. It's not about your preference. Now listen, we're not asking anybody to be who they're not. I mean, there are some people, they're like little kangaroos, man. They bounce around, and that's who they are. And I've been in meetings where people try to grab my hand and run around. I'm like, listen, Jack, I'll run, around the, I'll run around the room if the Holy Ghost tells me to. But don't be trying to take my hand and make me run around when I don't feel the, the leading of the Holy Ghost. You know what I'm saying? Get off me. I love you. <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of, y'all, some of y'all come from mainline churches. You're like, what is he talking about? Man, you just wait. Fire tunnels and glory trains and all right. I love it. There's there's a place for all of that. And I'm not knocking all that. Well, here's what I'm saying. The point what I'm trying to make is listen, nobody's trying to trying to have you worship God in a way that's not you. All right, there are some people that are loud and they're eccentric, and I love those folks. And there are some people that are quiet and they're a little bit more reserved, and I love those folks too. Now out the same side of my mouth, I'm also going to say it's not about my personality. Because there might be some things that come a little bit more naturally to me, and the Lord might say, listen, you need to, you need to, you need to hush down. Hush, 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 hush. Get quiet and worship me in quietness. And that might be a challenge for me. And in and, and the same vein, I, I might be in a, in a mode or a mood where I just want to be quiet and real reflective and cerebral. And the Lord might say, get up out your seat, boy, and lift your hands up and praise me. Okay? Listen, it's just a matter of realizing this moment is not about me. Okay? Now listen, when you go to the movies and when you go to the soccer game and when you go home, and those moments can be about you all you want. But when we come as a people... And we say, God, this moment you are front and center. Man, give them your best. There's this, there's, this, there's this idea that dropped into me this week. And it was this idea that we need to learn how to command our will. Look at that. I will. See it? Look at it right there. I will. You know what he's saying? I choose. I resolve. Here's my favorite word. I determine. How many of you, please do not raise your hands. (laughs) This is a hyper rhetorical question. How many of you, remember, do not raise your hands. How many of you get up on a Sunday morning with all of the crazy, tornadic activity that is going on that, that needs to happen to pull your family together to get here How many of you say, I determine today to give God my absolute best when I am with the people of God in the presence of God? I determine. 
No matter what news I got, no matter how I feel, no matter how great of a night of sleep I got, I'm going to lift my hands, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to open up my mouth, I'm going to, I'm going to just determine I'm going to give God my best. And let me tell you something, that is a part of Christian maturity. That's a part of Christian maturity. Right? How many of you parents in here, when your kids are toddlers, two, three, four, five years old, and their, their margin to be able to press through difficulty, it's small, right? If they're hungry, what dominates their life? I'm hungry, right? And you're like, okay, at a certain age, that's okay. At a certain age, that's okay. But at a certain age, if they're still going, I'm hungry, and they're 21 years old, <laughs> we got to grow up. We got to grow up. See, personally, this is just personal, personal, personal. I personally do not like giving voice to my ailments. I could be hot. I could be cold. It can be hunger. I could be hungry. But I don't like giving voice to those just as a person and just as a leader. It doesn't, it doesn't help the situation any. Okay? When I focus on that, it just doesn't help the situation any. And I'm trying to groom that into my children so that they learn how to rise above their external circumstances. So when we say something like, I determine I'm going to praise God with all my heart, we're engaging with a discipling process of spiritual maturity. You understand what I'm saying? We must train our mind and our feet and our heart and our hands and our voice. We must train ourselves in the spirit of community and under the influence of the spirit, we must train ourselves to move beyond our preferences, our inconveniences. We must train ourselves to move beyond our fatigue, our hunger. This is why fasting is so important. That's why fasting is so important. And listen, guys, I'm, I'm listening to this podcast. It's by an ex-Navy SEAL guy named Jocko Willink. This dude's just bad to the bone, man. And he'll say stuff like, listen, and he has this gruff voice, listen, the human body can go 40 days without food. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. Yeah, like day two, I'm like, <laughs> Jocko, remind me. <laughs> the human body can go three days without water. Yeah. I mean, it's just... You know, these are guys that don't even know the Lord. These are people that do not even have the same resurrection power living inside of them, right? Guys, you got the Holy Ghost. We got the Holy Ghost. We have the bread of the word. We have the witness of the people of God saying, you can do this. Sometimes, you know what we need to do in worship? We just need to look around and say, get your hands up. Get your hands up. Right? I do that to my kids. I'm like, get your hands up. Get your hands up. I'm going to do it. You know it's right, Miss Harriet. You do the same thing. You need you just just punch him on the shoulder. Be like, get Josh, get your hands up. <laughs> Josh is gonna be like, every time I come to church, you always calling me. I ain't coming here no more. <laughs> Seriously, you just can look around and say, hey, make it. I will extol the Lord with all my heart. Okay. Listen, that's personal. And then he says, I will do this in the council of the upright. You know what that is? That's a small group. I will do this when I have a smaller gathering. When I'm together with just a few of us, the council of the upright, even if there's just a handful of us together, I'm going to determine, even if there's just two of us in the room, 
we're going to give God our best. We're going to worship God acceptably. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to determine, God, you deserve our best praise. But then he says, I'm also going to do this in the congregation, in the assembly. Man, we were praying together this Wednesday morning at men's prayer, and Mike Bryce just opened up his mouth, and he said, God, thank you for the assembly. And he just began praying into this ecclesiological understanding, this theology of church. He said, God, thank you for the assembly. Thank you for the dynamic that happens when the people of God gather together. And we will choose that when we come together as a people, we're going to worship God with all of our heart. Loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. All right, so let's take a look at some other verses here. Look at verse two. We guys all, we all together today? Great are the works of the Lord. Everybody say amen. That's awesome. Great are the works of the Lord. Man, when we hear power statements like that, we ought to just, we ought to learn how to just participate. Amen. That means I agree. That means so be it. That means I testify to that statement. Yes, the works of the Lord are great. Great or small, the works of the Lord are great in our lives. Known or unknown, conscious or unconscious, let me tell you, the works of the Lord in your life are great. Okay? His timing is great, even when it doesn't match up with our timing. Okay? His process, it's great, even when it doesn't match up with our process. His particularity in your life, it is great. The way that God is doing what he's doing, the things that he's working out in you, the things that he's speaking to you guys, listen, it's great. Great are the works of the Lord. And this is the theme. little Bible study tool here is when you read through a particular passage, identify the words that are spoken consistently. And we'll find, verse 2 says, great are the works of the Lord. Look at verse 3. Glorious and majestic are his deeds. It's a variation of works. Look at verse 4. He has caused his wonders, variation of works. Look at verse 5. He provides food. This is one of his works. He's a provider. He provides food. Look at verse 6. Here's the word works again. He has shown his people the power of his works. Look at verse 7. The works of his hands are faithful and just. Let me let you in on a little spiritual secret. You want to know how you understand who God is? Study his works. Because God reveals himself by what he does. Some people reveal themselves by what they say. And then we find out that what they say doesn't match up with who they really are, right? We find out that people give a lot of false promises, but that's not God. We can study the works of God to determine the character of God. You can study throughout history. You can study throughout the scriptures. Oh, God has never forsaken his people. And you know what happens? When you get that revelation, it translates to something deep inside of you. Look at verse 2 again. Verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord, and they are pondered by all who delight in them. New American Standard says they're studied. They're studied. The works of the Lord are studied. Study his works. Let me just land this plane here really quickly. How do we study the works of the Lord? How do we, how do we become a people of praise? We become a people of praise by revelation of who God is. Okay, because that's what praise is. 
Praise is me responding to my current level of understanding of who God is. And if my praise is low, my revelation of God is low. But if I have a revelation of God that is high, if my, if my understanding of the value of who God is is high, my praise and my obedience and my worship should match my revelation of who God is. Otherwise, I'm giving God something less than the conscious revelation I have of who he is. Right? If I take my girl out on Valentine's Day and go grab her a burger at Freddy's, right? My, my action of what I am giving to her does not match my revelation of the value that she is in my life. I ain't hating on Freddy's. Y'all might say, well, Freddy's is great. That, listen, listen. Listen to the point. God. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying today? So if you want to become a people of praise, we need to increase our revelation of the value and the worth of who God is. How do we do that? We study the works of God. We study the works of God. Three ways that we study the works of God. Number one, study the works of God in Scripture. Study the works of God in Scripture. And what do I mean by study? I mean do more than a veggie tale, Sunday school, glossing over, kind of getting the big idea of the story. I mean getting into the story. Getting into the work. Studying who God is as he reveals himself. All right, man, when you get to God delivering the people out of Israel or, or the people of Israel out of Egypt, study that. Study that. Ask questions. Think about it. Ponder it. Wrestle with it. When you get into God closing the mouth of lions, think about that. Think about that. When you get to Jesus sleeping on a boat and all of his disciples who were trained fishermen are freaking out and Jesus is at peace, it makes me wonder, why am I freaking out? Jesus is in the middle of a demonic storm where 13 people on that boat could have drowned and he is chilling. The dude's taking a nap. And then he rebukes the guys for waking him up. I love it. What are you waking me up for? It's in my, like, perfect, my ream cycles. <laughs> okay, study that. That gives you a picture of who God is. It reveals who God is. And then all of a sudden, you start creating this database, this bank, this bank. And when you start going through difficult situations, you begin calling on the character of God as revealed in the works of God. Study the scriptures. Number two, take inventory of your personal life. Get yourself a journal and write down every time God does something in your life, big and small. Every time he answers a prayer, we forget. By nature, humans are forgetful people. We are just forgetful people. We forget how God provided the last time. We forget. We forget. Remember that moment when literally you didn't know whether or not you were going to be able to turn your lights on and you got on your face and you started cutting some things out and you started crying out to God and you started praying some dangerous prayers and God came through for you and now you're living in a big old house and you ain't got to worry about lights no more and you forget. 
Oh my God, how am I going to pay for my my kids' college fund? You need to remember that time when you didn't know how you were going to put food on the table. Go back and visit your own chronicles. And listen, create a legacy for your children. Share the stories of the faithfulness of God. You need to know that when you were a baby, the cord was wrapped around your neck three times. And we had worship going in that room. And we texted all of our friends. And we didn't know if you were going to make it. But God entered into that room. And he saved you. Our children need to know the stories of the faithfulness of God. God has been better to you than you remember. God has been better to you than your praise is reflecting. God has been better to you than you even have revelation of. Number three, study church history. Study church history. This is where, this is where we say, Lord, what have you been doing after the canon? This is where we get into who were the people of God that survived the intense persecution of Nero Who were the people of God that in spite of being thrown, you guys, listen, these guys would take Christians and they would wrap them up to posts and they would use them to light the streets up because they would set their bodies on fire. How did the Christian faith survive that? There was something so deep, and it's what Jonathan said today. It's the faithfulness of God over the long arc of history. Tap into that. Tap into that. If you got question wondering whether or not God's going to be faithful, you need to go all the way back here to AD 33 when Jesus got shot up into the heavens in Acts chapter 1, verse 11. And you need to visit. You need to visit. You need to go back and you need to take a walk through history. And you need to remember that Jesus said, This is my church, and I will build this church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Patristic fathers writing down theologies, heresies, trying to enter into the church, saying that Jesus was only man, or Jesus was only God, or there's only, there's only God, there is not a trinity. I mean, things that would have absolutely short-circuited the Christian faith. And there were faithful men. There were people that hung out in caves. Jerome translated the, called the Vulgate. He translated the scriptures into Latin, from which we took that, and translated it into modern languages hung out in a cave and in, in, in the night watches by candlelight wrote down the scriptures so that we could gather today God is faithful God is faithful when it looked like all hell was going to break loose and the church wouldn't survive in the dark ages there were faithful people that withdrew to the desert and they fasted and they prayed and they wrote the scriptures down so that we could have a reformation so that Pentecostalism could be revived again, so that the church of today could live. God is faithful. God is faithful. And there are lessons to learn in the history of God's faithfulness that hit every century of humanity. Let's, let's read this ver- Let's just read this Psalm 111 one more time. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 
Amen. I will preach this entire message all over again, y'all. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are steadfast forever and ever, done in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Come on, stand with me to your feet. One of the reasons why we come to this table on a weekly basis, it's a part of rehearsing our history. It's a part of remembering the work of the Lord. If I have all of our communion ministers come, please. And as we're talking about church history, here's a fun little discovery I made. Before the scriptures were written in the late 300s, you know what the people of God had? They had this. Think about it. Under some of the most severe persecution that the church has ever experienced, here's how, this is, this is one of the things that was set up to help them survive. They gathered around this table. They gathered around entire meals. They would have meals together. And those meals pointed them to God's faithfulness in the Exodus when he delivered the people out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. This meal pointed them to the Savior, the promised Messiah, who delivered us from the yoke of sin. And this meal was a prophetic declaration. Guys, no matter what happens in this earth, no matter what wicked emperor snuffs out your life, there is a meal that is coming. There is a meal that is coming, and it is a victorious meal. It is a victorious celebration that Christ our King is returning, and he is bringing his kingdom back to earth. And here's what I discovered, that communion was actually victorious and celebratory. In the late 400s, when the western part of the Roman Empire collapsed and Germanic tribes began to invade and take over the western empire, there was such war and bloodshed and such persecution that the focus on the table became very morbid. It began focusing on the death of Jesus. It began focusing on finding some kind of light in suffering. Is that wrong? No. 
It's not necessarily wrong. It gives us an understanding of the context of the people of God. They survived these Germanic barbarians coming in and slaughtering Christians by going, I'm not seeing everything victorious right now, but in the same way that our master lived a sinless life and shed his blood and embraced suffering, we too are gonna follow the way of Christ. Not right or wrong, a nuance, a nuance of the Christian faith. This table today speaks to the victory of Christ and his kingdom, but it also speaks to the reality of struggle and pain and suffering in this world until that victorious consummation of his kingdom is finalized when he returns. So we take this in memorial, we take this in faith of the presence of God with us today, but we take this in prophetic proclamation, our king is coming again and he will make the earth right. And all of these little inconveniences and grievances in my life and my family, there is a resurrection power that is enabling me to walk through these things until Christ returns. I need one ridiculous hearty amen on that. Father, today as we come to the cornerstone, as we come to the chief shepherd, as we come to the faithful witness, the Son of God and the Son of Man, fully God, fully man, as we come to the one sent from heaven out of perfect obedience, Jesus, our faith rests on you. Jesus, we are constituted as the people of God resident aliens, foreigners, different standouts, sanctified, set apart, and that has been made possible by your life and your death and your resurrection. We are Christians because of Christ. We are followers of the way. Lord, as we come to this table, we remind ourselves and we renew and we regalvanize our conviction to follow the Christ. We pray for the power of the Holy Spirit towards that end. I want to invite you to come to the table today.